0: So let's read together Galatians 6:11 to 18. See, with what, see what large letters I use as I write to you with my own hand. Those who want to impress people by means of the flesh are trying to compel you to be circumcised. The only reason they do this is to avoid being persecuted for the cross of Christ. Not even those who are circumcised keep the law, yet they want you to be circumcised so that they may boast about your circumcision in the flesh. I put that out of the way. Okay. Oh, is that disrespectful? Put the Bible on the floor. Maybe I'll put it on the table. Sorry. (laughs) No. Okay. So we know from Paul's writing in the Bible that he is a man of passion, that he is a man of conviction. And you we can really pick that up just from the opening words of this concluding part. See what large letters I am writing to you with my own hand. Because it's more than likely in that day that as Paul wrote, he wrote many letters in the Bible, but that the way he would have done this was by dictation. So he would have dictated these letters and he would have had a scribe, most likely, that would have written down his words. Um, and, and really what happens here is that Paul is so filled with passion that he, it's almost like he grabs the pen off the scribe and he looks to write these the, the concluding part of Galatians himself. So we know that it's important. We know that these last words of Galatians are really important and something that Paul really wants the Galatians to take to heart. So let's just take some time together to look at what are some of the areas that Paul is highlighting to the Galatians. The first thing that I kind of picked out is to run away from man-made legalism. You know, in terms of the law, Paul's already spent a lot of time in chapter 3 unpacking the law and unpacking the importance of the law and how the law was necessary in the right context, how it was necessary, how it pointed towards um, people's need for a saviour, their need for the Messiah, their need for Christ. So in in the right context, the law was good, but the, but grace has come, and Paul has spent a lot of time unpacking that, and we've had some really good messages on over around that topic as well, and I'd really encourage you to go back and listen to those if you missed out on any of, of those. Of that message. But here, what Paul is specifically challenging is the Judaizers who've taken the law, the law which was good and the law which was from God, and they've humanized it. They've actually made it something to fit in with what they feel comfortable with. You know, They're not being fully Jewish, they're not fully living in the grace of the the new covenant, but they want to take both parts and they want to fit it together to make something that they feel comfortable with and then they want to force other people to live under that law. So they've humanized it. It isn't the law in the original form, it's the law as they see it, um, as they want it to be. And the problem is that what they've done is they've made it about man and what he can do rather than about God and what he's already done. You know, Paul highlights this as he says, it is those who want to make a good showing in the flesh who would force you to be circumcised and only in order that they not may not be persecuted for the cross of Christ. So we see they're trying to kind of keep the, Jew, the, the Jews happy, keep the Christians happy, they kind of want to um, they, they don't want to be persecuted for the cross of Christ and they want to boast in their flesh, they want to make it about works, they want to make it about the things that they are doing outwardly rather than the grace of Christ and what God has already done. You know, the way the Judaizers saw things was that it was all about being seen to be doing the right thing. You know, whether you were accepted was the only opinion that mattered. Whether you were accepted by other people was the opinion that seemed to matter to them. You know, they cared what the Jews thought about them. You know, the problem is that they made it all about outward appearances and acceptance of man, but nothing to do with inner transformation and acceptance from God. And you know that's not what god's looking for isaiah 29 verse 13 this people draw near to me with their mouths and they honor me with their lips but their hearts are far from me and you know that's what god's looking for god's not looking just for outward transformation you know god's not looking for us to look like we're doing well you know god's looking for inner heart transformation I don't know if um, any of you here have heard of the TV program that was on in the 90s called Keeping Up Appearances. Hands up if you know that program. A few people, okay, not as many as I've maybe thought. (laughs) Um, But Keeping Up Appearances was a a a BBC TV show set in, uh, well it came out in about the 90s, and it was about this lady called Hyacinth Bucket, or as she liked to say, Bouquet, that's right, absolutely. So Hyacinth is a lady from a kind of working class background who really had kind of upper class aspirations. She really wanted to portray that she was more affluent than she was. She really wanted to try and impress people. You know, for her, she was always looking for opportunities to which she could climb the social ladder. And to Hyacinth, it mattered so much about what people thought of her. You know, and she tried to project this image of affluence and having it all together, but it just completely failed. And behind the scenes, and sometimes in public too, life was just total chaos. and must have been for her totally exhausting. You know, to her, it was about outward appearances at all costs. In a way, that's kind of what the Judaizer's message was, tra- was portraying. You know, that was the heart behind the Judaizer's message. It's about outward appearances. It's about being seen to be doing what is right, winning approval, winning favor of man. You know, the emphasis, again, I keep saying this, but it was on the outside rather than the inside. Or maybe today it's not so much about keeping up appearances as it is about keeping up with the Kardashians. You know, the, but the point is it's so easy to let ourselves elevate the opinion of others and what other people think of us, striving, to, to, striving for the acceptance of man or striving for the acceptance of our culture and elevating that over our relationship with God and over receiving acceptance from him. You know, when we elevate man's opinion over God's, we're in danger of compromising our faith and subjecting ourselves to man-made bondage and legalism. And that's what the Judaizers had done. You know, they had elevated the opinion of others, which had led to a compromising religion that they were living under. It wasn't God's freedom. You know, and God wants us to live in freedom. He doesn't want us to put ourselves under bondage, especially under man-made bondage. You know, we can't desire man's acceptance, and we can't let that be more important than receiving the grace and the acceptance of Christ. Verse 15, for neither circumcision counts for anything, nor uncircumcision, but a new creation. You know, outward works count for nothing. We can't earn forgiveness through the works that we do, through the things that we do. But as we receive the grace of God, we become a new creation. It's all about receiving God's grace and becoming a new creation. So whose voice are we listening to? You know, when we're not in a place where we're actively pursuing the voice of God, we leave ourselves open to, outward, to other influences coming in. You know, what are the things that form the core values in our lives? You know, God has created every single one of us with a longing to be accepted and loved. But, you know, he's created us with that longing for acceptance to be filled by, to be filled by him. But when we're not pursuing God, when we're not pursuing relationship with God, we look to other things and other people to fill that void in our lives. And nothing else satisfies, nothing else will fill that that longing for God other than God himself. And perhaps the Judaizers, they've misunderstood and they've misinterpreted the favor of God. You know, maybe in a way they actually believe that what they're doing is right, you know, trying to bring compromise and, and keep everyone together. But why? Because, because it's been about their own thoughts and their own interpretations rather than out forming their faith out of a place of relationship with God, out of a place of hearing God. And you know that is God's heart for every single one of us, is that he wants us to live in his presence. He wants us to live in a place of relationship with him where we can hear his voice in our lives. We can hear him guiding us and highlighting the areas of our life that we need to see breakthrough in or we need to be set free from. You know, God has made us for relationship with him. You know, the Judaizers missed out on that as they settled for rules instead of relationship. You know, when we take our eyes off God, we're left with rules instead of relationship. I don't know about you, but um, I used to read the Old Testament, and I really used to get confused with how people like David and Moses seemed to have these amazing encounters with God, because I kind of understood that the Old Testament was about law, and and it didn't really make sense to me why they got to have these amazing you know, face-to-face encounters with God. But what it shows me or what God showed me is that actually God's heart has always been about relationship because David and Moses are people who pursued relationship with God over rules, even under an Old Testament covenant, which gives away that God has always wanted, as you know, we look in the beginning from Adam and Eve in the garden of Adam in the garden with Adam and Eve. You know, he made them to have relationship with him. God has always wanted it to be about relationship. The law was only ever temporary. The law was only ever meant to point towards the greater thing that was coming the grace of God and so that we could enter in and have relationship with God you know that is freedom John 8 verse 32 says and you will know the truth and the truth will set you free Jesus is the truth and you will know the truth and the truth will set you free Jesus is the truth Secondly, the second point I just want to make is that Paul encourages us to boast only in the cross of Christ. In verse 14 he says, But far be it for me to boast except in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ, by which the world has been crucified to me and I to the world. So what does it mean to boast? Well, I looked up the dictionary just to find the dictionary definition, and it says to talk with excessive pride and self-satisfaction about one's achievements, possessions, or abilities. So, I think there's lots of way that we there's lots of things that we can boast about you know boasts kind of give away the things that we value in our heart and you know I think that there's good boasts and there's bad boasts um, an example of a good boast I don't know many of us um have probably seen on Facebook, maybe some of our friends um maybe Kim and Justin will do this as their little one grows up, but um, of people who put lots of pictures up on Facebook or videos of their children as they're growing, as they're maybe walking for the first time, or if they've done something funny, and they post that on Facebook for the world to see. Um, And why do they do that? Because they love their child. They're so proud of their child. This moment of joy they want to share with the world. And in a way, that's kind of like boasting. It's boasting. It's kind of showing, in a good way, it's it's showing the thing that they value the most. And they're declaring that to the world as they kind put that on Facebook? Or maybe what are some other ways that we can boast? You know, um, there's you know, maybe bad boasts in terms of, uh, we all know that person who just wants to sort of brag about the the latest thing they've just bought or the latest holiday they've just planned and the new car that they've just bought. And, you know, that boast, that th- their language is kind of giving away their heart that says that materialism matters to them or that, that that's something where they find their identity and, you know, the words coming out of their mouth kind of give away um, the... The position of their heart. You know, the scripture actually says in Matthew 12 34, out of the overflow of the mouth, the heart speaks. So, boasts are formed by the things that we value in our heart. And the things that we value in our heart are kind of formed out of the things that we feed our minds with, the things that we turn our attention to, the things that we allow to consume our time. You know, those are the things that form, um, form the value of our hearts. And boast is just the overflow um, that comes out of that, right? So there's good boasts and there's bad boasts. So what does it mean to boast in the cross of Christ? You know, when we boast in the cross of Christ, that's when we speak about what Jesus has done for us on the cross, it gives away the thing that we value in our heart. We want the boast of Christ. When we boast in the cross of Christ, we want that to be the overflow of the joy in our heart, of the thankfulness in our heart. And how do we get to that place? We need to be feeding ourselves. We need to be feeding our hearts with thankfulness and praise. We need to be constantly filling our minds and filling our hearts with the goodness of God, constantly focusing on him and what he's done for us. You know, it's not enough to just maybe come on a Sunday. It needs to be a constant thing that we're doing, constantly focusing our eyes, constantly stirring up praise, stirring up thankfulness to God. You know, what are some of the things that we can thank God for in the finished work of the cross? You know, that we are dead to sin and alive in Christ. I mean, here, I just want to list some things that are true that we should be filling our minds with regularly. You know, that worldly desires have been put to death and we're free to live by heaven standards, that, that we can approach God with boldness, that we can come into his presence free from shame, that we can have personal relationship with the creator of the universe, that the Holy Spirit lives in us, that the same power that raised Christ from the dead actually lives in us, that God empowers us to go and set the captives free, that he's anointed us to preach good news to the poor, to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim freedom for the captives, to bestow on them a crown of beauty instead, of ashes the oil of gladness instead of mourning you know here's just some of the truths of the finished work of the cross and we need to fill our minds with that we need to meditate on that daily And when I talk about meditating on the finished work of the cross, I'm not just talking about, you know, meditating on Jesus on the cross. Because Jesus is no longer on the cross. Jesus has left the cross and Jesus is victorious. And we need to spend time focusing and filling our hearts and filling our minds of the victory of Christ and letting that be our boast. Letting that be the overflow of the thankfulness that we have in our hearts. And I just want to propose that constantly being thankful to God, you know, constantly keeping that at the forefront of our minds is one of the keys to freedom and one of the keys to preventing an attitude of legalism uh, setting into our lives. You know, when we take our eyes off God and what he's done for us, we start to focus on us and the things that we can do in our own strength. So we need to keep God at the forefront of our minds. You know, worship is such a key part in fueling our Christian growth. Fueling an attitude of gratitude. I like that. I remember that. (laughs) We need to be doing that in our hearts. Just fueling that attitude of gratitude. You know, connecting with God through the Holy Spirit. Receiving daily His joy. Constantly giving thanks for all that He's done. Constantly filling our minds with His goodness. So we need to be worshippers every day. And I don't know about you, but when um, sometimes we have these accountability meetings where we maybe meet up with a friend, someone who we've permission to speak into our lives, and and quite a normal question to get asked is, how how are your quiet times going? Are you you having good quiet times? You know, I love that question because it's really good to have quiet times. But, you know, I want to encourage us to start holding each other to account over our noisy times as well. You know, we need to be encouraging each other, you know, how is your worship? How are you? How's your worship going? Are you worshiping? Are you receiving the joy? Are you, you know, where where is your heart at? And and you know, maybe that kind of comes down to personality for all of us how we go about doing that. But I think there's such value in worship that is about declaring out and stirring our hearts and being intentional and bringing a sacrifice of praise. That as we do that outwardly, that that actually brings inner transformation and that actually affects the core value of of, of how we see God and and. And yeah, his goodness in our lives. And so maybe for some of us it's through singing or maybe for some of us it's dancing or playing musical instruments or even just reading and declaring out scripture over ourselves. But I want to say that I've really noticed in my life that I've really grown the most as I've declared things out over myself, as I've spoken things out, as I've worshipped out. You know, there's something about speaking out and getting out and declaring out over ourselves that actually brings inner transformation. So let's hold each other to account over our times of worship, over our noisy times. You know, let's have quiet times when we when we're listening and pressing in for the voice of God and meditating on scripture but let's also have noisy times where we're stirring up our hearts to worship him and adore him so we want to be worshipers on the inside and it's what people see on the outside simply be the overflow of what Christ is doing in us my third point that I want to make today is that we receive the grace that we receive and live in the grace of God. So Paul begins um, the epistle of Galatians with this customary greeting of grace and and goes on to express his astonishment to the Galatians that they so quickly deserted God and the grace of Christ. And really the whole way through the book of Galatians, there seems to be this kind of undercurrent message, uh, this message of grace um, that he wants to encourage the Galatians that freedom comes from accepting the grace of God. And and he ends on the same note, you know, his final parting words, the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit. And I love the language of that because effectively what Paul is saying is that to receive the grace of God in such a way that you carry it with you, that the grace of God is in your spirit, that that it abides in you, that you never leave it, you never put it down, the grace of God is always with you. You know, it's too important. We need to have the grace of God in our spirits going with us wherever we go, because grace is absolutely a key to freedom. And there's three quick points I want to make about grace as I just unpack this for us. The first is that grace forgives. You know, grace is absolutely key to entering relationship with God. It's key to accessing the finished work of the cross that we've already spoken, to, spoken about. Um, because of God's grace, we don't get what our sins deserve. Instead, we get what Christ earned through his death on the cross. You know, the beauty of, the, of grace is that the moment we receive it, that moment that we receive it, we become a new creation. A new creation, no longer under the law, but a new creation. No longer seen by God as sinners, but suddenly accepted, accepted by God. You know, we're forgiven, we're set free. I'm sure lots of us will probably know that um, popular acronym, uh, grace, um, I don't know, maybe we could say it together, do we know it? No? God's riches at Christ's expense, brilliant, gold star over there, yeah, <laughs> so grace, the word grace, if we break it down, so God's riches at Christ's expense, grace, amazing, mind-blowing, you know, that is the grace of God, that we get the riches of Christ, we are so undeserving, but we get to receive those riches, so it's, so God's grace is undeserved forgiveness, but receive, receiving God's grace is more than just forgiveness, so I want to share my testimony um, that when I became a Christian, I used to smoke. So I wanted to share my testimony about giving up smoking. And really it was something that as soon as I became a Christian, I really knew that God was going to be asking me to give up smoking. And it's something that I really struggled with for a while um, and I continued smoking for a wee while and then what would happen is I basically got caught in this cycle that when I would have a cigarette I'd feel so bad about myself I'd just you have all these voices in my head just being like oh Hannah you're such a rubbish Christian I can't believe that you're smoking like God hates you like you're just so rubbish and just this cycle would, of just condemnation would just go round and round in my head to the point that I just feel really really bad about it and I wouldn't talk to anyone about it I wouldn't tell them what I was struggling with you know I'd, I'd sneak off in secret and go and have a cigarette and I wouldn't want to talk to anyone you know I just felt really rotten about myself and then I would get kind of you know I'd get to the point where I'd be like oh no I'm going to ask God you know God's grace God forgives me I'm going to pray for God's grace and so I'd pray and then I would suddenly feel this peace and I'd know that God's forgiven me and I'd be like God I'm really sorry I'm never going to do that again and then just feel like oh yeah God's forgiven me that's good Um, But then after that what would happen is after a while I'd start to have another craving and I'd be like oh I really want to have another cigarette and I don't know if any of you struggle with this thought process when you struggle with a sin but you kind of talk yourself into all the reasons why it's okay and actually things like well God probably knows all the things I'm going to do wrong anyway and he's he's already forgiven me so I I might as well just have one because he knows I'm going to have one anyway so I'll just have a cigarette and then I'll just say sorry later like he'll have to forgive me it's fine. And it's so silly, but we justify it or we talk ourselves into the fact that maybe God's not really that bothered if we just have one more cigarette or whatever. And this was the process that was going on. So then, of course, I'd have one and then again the condemnation would hit me and be like, oh, you're such a bad Christian, you're so rubbish. And, you know, this went on for ages and just left me feeling absolutely exhausted and just really, really rubbish. And so I got to the point where I was just like, you know what, God, I just got on my knees in my room one night and I just remember praying, God, I don't even know if you actually want me to give up smoking. And I just prayed and I was like, God, if you want me to give this up, you need to show me, you need to give me a sign and you need to help me do that. And it must have been a Saturday night, because I remember going to church the next day, um, and the preacher was preaching, and I don't even remember what he was speaking on, but one of his points, he started speaking about 1 Corinthians 6, where he was talking about how our bodies are a temple of the Holy Spirit. And he began talking about how we need to look after our bodies, and how we need to try and eat healthily, and we need to exercise, and absolutely no way should we be putting toxic chemicals like cigarette smoke into our bodies. And I just sat there, and I was like, you know, of all the sermons, of all the things that guy could have spoken about. You know, this was what was being said. And it was like in that moment it felt like God was just speaking straight to me. And I felt something different from the condemnation that I'd been feeling earlier. I felt a conviction. I felt a Holy Spirit conviction where God was saying, I do want you to give this up and I'm going to help you to do it. And I began to pray for help. And I began to pray that God would come and help me with my addiction and set me free from it. You know, on one side I was in danger of developing a bad attitude where i was thinking that i was entitled to god's grace or that god's grace gave me a license to do whatever i want but on the other side i was kind of left struggling with addiction and trying to defeat it and the voice of the enemy was condemning me you know but god wants to bring freedom you know god's grace he wants to empower us god's grace not only forgives us but god's grace also empowers us you know, where the Holy Spirit brings conviction is because God wants to empower us to beat that area and um, that area of sin in our lives. So true freedom, it's not just being free to do whatever we want, but true freedom is actually being empowered to do what is right. True freedom is not being free to do whatever we want, but true freedom is about being empowered to do what is right. But it starts by inviting and permissioning God to come into the situation. You know, God's God's empowering grace is never inadequate. There's There's no thing that we're struggling with. There's no sin that we're struggling that God's grace can't cover. His grace is never inadequate. But sometimes it is inactive because we haven't invited him, we haven't permissioned him to come and work in that situation. You know, what are the areas of our lives that some of us are feeling helplessly trapped by sin? You know, the enemy wants to keep us in a place of condemnation. You know, the enemy wants to bring shame because shame separates us from God. Shame stops us coming into the presence of God to deal with that sin. You know, shame stops us from talking about it or asking for help from some of our friends or mature Christians. You know, the enemy wants to condemn us. But grace is different. Grace convicts. Grace brings the Holy Spirit and the power to bring change as we bring it before the throne of God. And I just want to highlight, this is what I kind of see the difference between Old Testament covenant and New Testament covenant of grace. The Old Testament covenant of law and the New Testament covenant of of grace. You know, under the law, under the Old Testament, law brings a command that you're left to perform, that you're left to do it on your own, and it's hopeless. But grace also brings a command, but God enables you to be able to do it. So law brings a command that you're left to perform. But grace brings a command that God enables you to perform. You see, the law says that you have to do all these things in order to win favor or salvation or acceptance with God. But in grace, your starting position is from favor and acceptance with God, and he enables you to keep his commands. You know, grace joins us into living partnership to the Holy Spirit, to do the unthinkable, to do the things that we were unable to do under the old law, but that he enables us to do under the grace law, to be truly set free. Grace enables us. Grace empowers us. Grace brings us the gift of the Holy Spirit to be a helper and to bring about sanctification and heart change. The law requires and leaves us helpless, but grace enables and makes us powerful. So grace forgives us and grace empowers us. But the third and final point I want to make about grace is that grace demands. Grace is demanding. You know, the law of grace actually goes deeper than the Old Testament law because it's not simply satisfied with outward workings like we spoke about earlier, but actually the law of grace is looking for inner heart transformation and sanctification. You know, grace goes deeper than the law. God introduces us to a whole new level of responsibility. You know, the old, under the old law, it says, do not commit adultery. But under the new law of grace, it says, don't even look lustfully at someone. It's about heart. It's God is looking at our heart. Grace is not simply a gift to be taken advantage of. We need to grow in our understanding of grace that grace is actually more challenging and more demanding. We can't compartmentalize the things that people see and the things that we don't because God's grace is all-encompassing and affects every single part of who we are. You know, the idea that grace has no commands, the idea that under grace we can just do what we want, that's foolishness because actually grace works. Under grace, God wants us to work. It's just that we don't work for favor, but we work from favor. We work in response to his love and from a heart that wants to know more of God and wants to pursue the things that delight the heart of God, that want to become more holy because we want to host more of the presence of God and we want to go deeper in our relationship with him. But for some of us, sometimes it can just be easier to have a list of things that we can and can't do. And I believe that I think that this is the reason that even today, sometimes the church struggles to leave the law behind and live fully in the grace of God, is because it's harder to welcome God in and have Him challenge some of the areas of our hearts that we're not prepared to surrender to Him. So it's just easier to live by the law of the things that we can and can't do. You know, from uh, what are some of the things that maybe we're struggling with? Maybe it's how we see ourselves. You know, we don't want to welcome God into that. Or areas of sexuality or areas of selfishness. Or, um, you know, there's things where we want to put ourselves first. um, Or fear that if we surrender to God that he'll ask us to do something that we're not willing or not prepared to do. And, you know, there's something really ironic in the fact that true freedom is found in total surrender to God. True freedom is found in total surrender to God. And, you know, God wants the best for us you know john 10, 10 the enemy comes to rob kill and destroy but i have come that you may have life and life to the full you know everything that god wants for us is because he wants the absolute best for us and everything that jesus commands us to do in the new testament after the cross it's no longer about redemption it's no longer about uh, salvation but actually it's a discipleship act you know we are, we work from the place where we're already accepted We've already won salvation, but everything that he wants to outwork in us after that becomes about discipleship and becomes about him wanting to set us free from sin in our lives. He wants the best for us. He wants to see us completely set free. Grace opens a way into relationship, into the power and the presence of God. And it forgives, it empowers us, but it also demands a heart response A heart response that permissions God to come and work in every area of our life, to bring inner transformation and true freedom. So, as Paul said, let the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit. You know, we are called to be free. So Paul is encouraging us to run away from man-made legalism and run into the arms of a loving God who wants relationship with us and wants the absolute best for us. Also, he wants us to stir up our hearts to boast and be glad in the finished work of the cross. And thirdly, he wants us to receive and partner with the grace of God, permissioning the Holy Spirit, allowing the Holy Spirit to come and bring inner transformation and complete freedom. Amen. I'm just going to pray and then we're going to have a time of prayer. Father, I just want to thank you for the finished work of the cross. I want to thank you, God, that you want to lead us as a church and as people into complete freedom. I want to thank you for the grace of God. And, Father, for each one of us here, Lord, I just pray that we would just press deeper into knowing your grace at work in our lives. Father, help us to open our hearts to you. Help us to open our hearts and allow you to bring true freedom in our lives, Lord Jesus. Father, help us not to elevate the opinion of others and what they think of us over what you are saying and what you think of us, Lord. Father, give us hearts to pursue you, Lord, above everything else, God, I pray. Father, we love you, Lord. We want more of you in our lives. Just come, Holy Spirit. Father, just come and stir our hearts. If there are areas that you want to touch today, Lord, just come and stir our hearts. If there's a response to be made to you today, Jesus, we just invite you to come. maybe just a couple of areas that are, I just feel God highlighting that would be good to just respond to. And the first one is just um, that maybe there's people here who just really are just feeling um, really condemned really condemned by God and and just that whole thing about rules and just feeling like you're still living under the old uh, the old covenant of law and and just feeling like when you muck up that that God hates you or you know you just really struggling with that and you know God wants to set you free from that God wants to speak over you that he you are accepted that you are loved by him that he is proud of you that he you know he loves you so much and and if you're really struggling with that I just really want to encourage you just to go and get some prayer um I think we'll just go to, head to the back, just up to the welcome lines, just in front of the welcome lines at the back there. And maybe the second thing is if you just want to receive God's grace afresh, if you just want to go deeper into the grace of God, maybe there was something that was said um, around grace that just really touched your heart, and you just want to receive afresh um, the grace of God in your heart, um, then, we, then I just encourage you just to go and get some prayer um, as well. So I just want to maybe invite the band to, to come up. Um, And we're going to worship for a while. And and just if if you feel like God's touched your heart in any way at all, then just please just go for prayer. um, And that would be great. So why don't we stand um, as we worship together.